It's really great to see everybody here. Welcome to Missionary August, where we um, have all the kids in service and keep the temperature at around 26 degrees. So we all are in missionary training right now with not all the comforts and conveniences of Western Church. My message series that I'm in, we're working through 1 Corinthians, and I'm calling this series Heaven on Earth. And the big idea is that heaven on earth is not getting everything you want on a day full of comfort and when you don't experience any physical pains, but instead heaven on earth is the church. This is the place where God has invaded a rebellious earth with his presence and with the blood of his son in order to create a people who are acting out what it's like in heaven now. The church is heaven on earth, including Calvary Chapel, right? The theology all sounds great until we get together. And so one of the things we're going to do as we're in this sermon series is we're going to read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, every time we get together. Because a Christian love is one of the greatest foretastes of what the new heavens and the new earth is going to be like. And uh, so we're going to do this. And one of the things I've done to tweak this passage is that I've added the phrase for kids after each time we're going to say love, because it's all nice to talk about how love is great, but, um, and then someone shows up, right? Have you ever found that? I find that thinking about love is a wonderful thing when I'm in my study by myself and haven't spoken to anybody all day. But as soon as somebody show, shows up, love becomes quite a challenge. And especially when um, with people who have not completed puberty and moved out of the house and gotten their own job and started paying their own bills. And so that's where love is the challenge. And so we're going to just add that little phrase for kids into this passage, not to change scripture, but to just add a little bit of application to it as we read it. Amen? So this isn't heresy. We're just adding some particularity to it. Are you with me? Okay, ready to go? We're going to try to read this all together. One, two, three. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for kids, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love for kids, I am nothing. Ouch. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love for kids, I gain nothing. Love for kids is patient and kind. Love for kids does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love for kids bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love for kids never ends. Amen? Anybody convicted yet? I have you right where I want you. Father God, would you just come amongst us by the Holy Spirit of power? God, I don't really care if we're the Westerners and we solve all our problems with our technology. You are the God of unlimited power and you really have spent this, sent the spirit of resurrection amongst us. Do amazing things. Nothing can stop you. You have no limits. Even when we say no, 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 you don't have to listen. You're God. 
And so I pray for the glory of Jesus that you would raise us from the dead afresh today by the power of your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you were with us last time, we were talking about the Corinthian church and how they were so utterly, despicably, despisably, discouragingly messed up. They were as bad as it gets. And yet the Apostle Paul still writes a letter to them saying, I rejoice in my God for the grace he's given you. You are the saints. And one of the points I wanted to make is that if any of us here today went to the Corinthian church when this letter was written, we definitely would walk away saying, number one, these people are not Christians because there's a guy sleeping with his stepmom. That's all you needed. And they did a lot of other stuff besides that. And number two, I'm never going back. And one of the things I was saying was that the problem with the Corinthian church is the problem that we in the West have as well. They were tremendously selfish people. And they had a theology that wanted to say, at the one hand, I believe in Jesus and he's Lord, and at the same time, I'm the most important person in my life. And they were trying to make this happen at the same time, and it was producing one of the ugliest churches in the Bible. And what I was saying was that we have this issue in the West, because we are saturated in a philosophy that's called existentialism, which I called meism. And this is a philosophy that started about 70 or 80 years ago, though it's been through all of human history. And the big idea is this. There is no God. Therefore, there is no meaning or purpose or right and wrong that just exists in the world. We're just molecules. We're just chemistry. We happen for no reason and we stop happening for no reason. That's reality. There's no God. There's no supreme being in heaven saying you have worth, you have meaning, you're doing right, you're doing wrong. There's just chemistry. But these philosophers said, well, that's kind of discouraging. So if you're going to have meaning in your life, You decide. You make it up. You decide what you are. You decide who you are. You decide what your destiny is. You decide what your meaning is. You decide what right and wrong is for you. You pick up your own truth and you run around trying to establish it. And anyone who's for you is your ally. And anyone who's against you is a hater. And your job is to grind their faces into the ground with the heaviest boots you can find while you're on your quest to be happy and fulfill your life and become who you've always dreamed you're supposed to be. Amen? And I was fortunate enough to watch a movie this week that totally proved my point. Some lines from the pivotal song in the movie, Ugly Dolls, where two dolls, neither of whom are ugly, they're actually both really cute, but for some reason the movie says they are, whatever, singing this song together, show them who you are, show them that you're strong, show them that you've been, they've been seeing you all wrong, open up their minds, throw away the key, tell them that you are and you'll always be unbreakable, unbreakable, yeah. You define yourself, oh, hey, yeah. You and no one else, oh, hey, yeah. Show them who you are, show them that you're strong, show them that you've known it all along. Open every door, own your destiny, live as if you are what you were and you've always been, these are the worst lyrics, and you'll always be unbreakable, 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 unbreakable. That's meism. You own your destiny, you own your definition, and if anybody gets in your way, you either change their mind or essentially destroy them with human rights violation lawsuits or something like that. The problem is it doesn't work. 
And one of the great things about that movie is that it doesn't even believe its own press on this because the main character's desire, and this is not a spoiler because it's in the trailer, the main character's desire is actually to go and find someone bigger than her and stronger than her and better than her and go find her purpose and meaning in a love relationship with that being they call a child. They don't even believe the song. He's like, I'm going to decide who I am. Actually, what I really want is somebody amazing to love me and give me meaning. That, that's, the, that's her desire. Guess what? That's Christianity. I give up trying to define myself. I give up trying to defend myself. I give up trying to prove myself. I give up trying to make myself. I just want to be in a love relationship with a pure and holy and awesome Father who wants to be with me. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who has lived forever to become a human being just like us and enter into all of our brokenness and all of our ugliness and every temptation, yet without sin, dying on the cross in our place so that he could bring us home to the Father and we would find all of our purpose and all of our meaning and all of our destiny and all of our right and lose all of our wrong by being loved forever by somebody who is infinitely amazing. It's online, you can listen to it. So let's talk about, this letter is a bunch of problems that the apostle tries to solve. And the first problem in the church that's caused by people being selfish in the church is that factions are developing. I only just checked the time now, so I'm starting my 20 minutes. Okay, just kidding. I've got at least 18. And this is what it says, verse 10 of chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is this, that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are you baptized into the name of Paul? And he goes on from there. And what the scene is, is that Paul planted this church in Corinth. And he was there for like a year and a half. And it was all the fights and all the miracles, just like normal. And then he went away to somewhere else. He's in Asia now. And now he's having this letter correspondence. Before there was texts and emails. And so the church would write him a letter. And then somebody would walk it over to where he is. And then he would write a letter back. And he sent it back. And so this letter is actually a response to a letter they sent Paul. And when the letter showed up with their questions about how to do church... Some of Chloe's people, who are the messengers, inform Paul. Paul, one of the things they're not mentioning is that everyone's starting to fight about who's the best. They didn't want to mention that to you, right? Which isn't a good sign, right? Sometimes people meet with mentors. Sometimes they meet with pastors. They have very long conversations, and they never get around to talking about what's really going on. And one of the things I love about Paul, he's like, you know that thing you don't want to talk about? Let's start there. You know this thing you kind of thought I was going to, you know, you were talking to friends in private and all this stuff. Yeah, people, reliable sources told me all about it. So let's deal with it as a church on a whole. No one-on-one conversations. I'm just going to, I'm dad. We're dealing with this right now. Make sure you read this letter in front of everybody. Way to go, Paul. Uh, Love is very bold sometimes. And he's pleading with them to come together and have one mind and one judgment and not to um, break the church up with problems. And so this whole scene of them breaking up the church by having uh, factions behind people, I call 
a case of having, I wish that I could be like the cool kids. That's the title of the message today. I wish that I could be like the cool kids. Does anybody want to sing it for me? You know the song? You don't want to admit in church you know the song? Come on. Little Echo Smith. Come on, everybody. Come on. See, you want, you want to be like the cool kids, which involves not singing this song right now in church. This is one of the main problems. When you have a selfish church, your church will get taken over by this desire to be like the cool kids because that's how the world works, right? The world works by wanting to be like the cool kids or be with the cool kids. Anybody here in school? Anybody? You guys, you fakers, you liars. Come on, you're just sitting there. Just don't move. Why don't they have children's ministry? Pastor Rob's going to embarrass me in front of my friends. That's just wanting to be like the cool kids. That's why I have to go here. Okay, who is in school? Put up your hands, every single one of you. Your parents aren't going to feed you lunch if you lie. All right. Are there cool kids at school? Isn't there this pressure to want to be like them? Or the reverse, to despise them? Right? Anybody? Isn't this how it works? This is what happens at church sometimes, and it's totally not supposed to. Church is the place where cool kids go to die. I'm going to say that one more time, and I'm going to add a little sound effect, because I think you need it. Back, back, back. I really do think you need this. Church is the place where cool kids go to die. Thank you. All right, so we're going to talk about how wanting to be like the cool kids wrecks a church in three ways. The problem of celebrity, the problem of inner circles, and the problem of civil wars. Number one, the problem of celebrities. These are believers. These are Justin Bieber fans. What is a celebrity? It's somebody you celebrate. That's where the root of the word comes from. It's somebody that you want. They're amazing. They're great. They have great skills. They do something. They impress us. They're people we want to celebrate. The problem with celebrities is that we don't love them and they don't love us. We tell them we're great. We sell it. We put up the poster because they impress us, because they fascinate us, but we don't actually care about them as people and they don't care about us as people. And you know that because when a, cele- a celebrity has a fall from grace, um, number one, you weren't praying for them before they had a fall from grace, before something bad happened. And number two, as long, as soon as they're not entertaining you anymore, you forget about them. Right? So this is a loveless relationship. Celebrities, people who impress us, And we give them influence in our lives because of how they make us feel, but we don't love them and they don't love us, which is the opposite of church, right? One of the problems of celebrity is it's usually really fake, especially in our culture, where you can um, make anybody look awesome and sound good with computers. You have fake lyrics written by machines probably sometimes, and they're auto-tuned voices with machines that, or with instruments that don't exist because they're just all loops in a computer somewhere. And, uh, one of the things, I love to find out how the world really works. And so I love to find out how the movie industry actually works because it's so fake, right? Anybody here watch a movie? They're so fake. Except for that scene in The Matrix where he was doing that slow motion thing. That actually happened. <laughs> and I was watching this little video that was explaining how they can fix people's faces in movies. 
Like, not just like Samuel L. Jackson looking like he's 30 all of a sudden, but there's this one A-list actress, and she was supposed to be in this movie that I think was a bit of a romantic movie or whatever. The problem was that she breaks out like crazy, like me when I was 17, just acne all over the place. So there's multiple different colors all over her face. And um, they just shot the movie with her face like that, and then somebody pressed a button after the filming was done, and her face looked like a supermodel again. Just took it all away. It's so fake. And yet we worship them because we're wired to worship something greater than us. And if it's not going to be Jesus, it's going to be people. When we have celebrity culture, people's opinions are always so disproportionately important to us. That's the only other option, which is why you can have a song with lyrics that are like, I'm going to decide my destiny and I'm going to decide who I am and I'm going to show everybody who I really am. Why do you care? Why, why does everybody else need to see who you are? I thought you were deciding for yourself who you are. Why do you need to show everybody who you are? Well, if you're not defined by God, everybody else's opinion matters. Right? And it's totally inconsistent and people don't see it. But it's either we live off of what God says about us here or everybody's opinion is going to matter way too much. Because that's how we're made. You can also have Christian celebrities. Of course, Right? Who are the hot things these days? Used to be Toronto, now it's more Bethel. Bethlehem Baptist is going down because pastor's getting older, but there's some other people. The Chandler thing is still happening. Do you love these people? Do you actually pray for them, or do you just download their stuff because they impress you? And if they, they blow it, are they dead to you? Not good, right? If they're brothers and sisters in Christ, we should love them. So this is what the Apostle Paul says about celebrities. Verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Let's go here. Oh, take me back one, sorry. Think about where you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God loves losers. He loves the kind of people that celebrities hate and despise. And he chooses them to prove that celebrities suck and they're nothing. And he takes losers like Robert Balfour and he says, here's a crown and here's eternal life and now you're the royalty of being my son and forever and ever I'm going to display the riches of my grace in you. And Hollywood's going in the lake of fire. So we... Shouldn't we just want to be losers and not celebrities? And shouldn't we love the losers like God does and not celebrities? Our church would be a better place if we did that. Inner circles. Inner circles are, you know, in any organization, there's people who have extra relationship in that organization, right? Inner circles. You you have the workers in in a factory, and then you have the supervisors that connect, and then you have the managers that connect, and then you have the upper managers that connect, and then you have the VPs that connect, and then you have the senior VPs that connect, and then ultimately, ultimately, you're in that inner circle of just the CEO. And people can be strongly driven by this desire to get into that next level of inner circle. 
because we imagine that once we're in that inner circle, we'll find the acceptance and the validation and the affirmation and the celebration that we've always wanted. How can I be an important person if I'm stuck here sweeping the floor? If I'm going to be important, I need to get into that circle. And then you get in that circle and you realize there's another inner circle inside of that circle. You need to get in. And if I'm going to be important, if I'm going to be affirmed, if I'm going to be validated, if I'm going to be accepted, if I'm going to be celebrated, I need to keep getting in those inner circles. Right? I can't just be a regular person at Calvary Chapel. I need to become a community group leader. And then I can't just be a community group leader. I need to get in with the pastors and the elders. And I can't just be that. I got to become this. And I got to keep, there's always another level of important relationship for me to get in so that I can be an important person. True. The problem with that is that it's usually just driven by jealousy, often driven by wanting relationships with people that God hasn't given to us. And it's usually just using people right? If you want to be in an inner circle, you don't actually love the people in that circle. You want something from them and are trying to get your way in there. And not only is that ultimately pride, but it ends up despising the people you think aren't in the important inner circle. True? Because they're not important enough to be in the next inner circle. They're just regular people and not good enough for us. Ouch. Somebody... And this is what these factions were doing in the church. I follow Paul. That's the important inner circle. You're stuck with Apollos, the loser. He's just some guy. He doesn't even write anything in the Bible. And other people are like, well, you think Paul's great. I'm following Peter. That's the inner circle. I met him in Jerusalem and he baptized me. He was the first apostle and Paul killed people. That's the inner, inner circle. And all of you guys, you're trying and that's great. And I guess I can kind of celebrate you a little bit, do a little clappy clap on Facebook, but I'm in the inner circle. I was baptized by somebody important. And now I'm making them regret it by my terrible spiritless life. Or sometimes you can see that there are perceived inner circles and you can be feel like you're stuck outside of it and then you can try to form your own inner circle that isn't an inner circle against the inner circle so that you've got your inner circle that rejects their inner circle and everybody's got a circle to dwell in nobody somebody high school this is what the apostle paul says about inner circles and remembering that we're the church of jesus he says this is in chapter three Verse 1, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. For I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you still aren't. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling amongst you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Oh, that phrase kills me. Aren't you just acting like mere human beings when you're jealous for the attention of mere human beings and quarrel over the praise of mere human beings? Aren't you just being tomorrow's worm food and not the church of the living Jesus Christ? I love it. Oh, Paul knows how to just fit a dagger in his Twinkies. Eat this. Why am I bleeding all over the place? Because it's true about you. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you, are you not mere human beings? What is Apollos and what is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And this is the reality, church. The most inner, inner, inner circle in existence is a trinity. It is the never-ending love relationship of a Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this inner circle is so exclusive that nobody could ever get inside of it until Jesus shed his blood. And he sent the Holy Spirit into the world. And now by grace, God summons us to be inside of the most exclusive inner circle there could possibly be. He has made us one with Jesus Christ. He has brought us into the Trinity. He has filled us with his spirit. We are inside the exclusive relationship of Almighty God. Mic drop. Truth bomb. Somebody help me here. Who in the world could you ever impress again? Oh yeah, you guys you guys won the uh, the Raptors. You guys won something. That's great. That's great. Well, I would love to come to your party, but I'm going to go hang with the Trinity. I'm just going to go change the world. Father, can you do something awesome for these guys? They're celebrating because they put a, a piece of rubber through a piece of metal. That's great. I love them. But uh, would you do something amazing for them? It does not get higher than that, which God has freely given us. Don't you want to go to your prayer closet? You You are filled with the Spirit. You're one with Jesus. It doesn't get any more inner than that. Why give a rip about anything else? Our mission is to love the church. There's cliques in Calvary Chapel. Bless the cliques. You don't need them. Your job is to love them. The cool kids at school don't like me. You don't need them. Your job is to love them. If they despise you, they don't understand anything. You're in the Trinity by grace. So don't reject them and don't worry about it. You're in. Your job is to love them. It's all the power of God. Say what? Holla? Somebody? I know I'm stroking your pain with my fingers and singing your life with my words. I may be killing you softly with this sermon. But it is softly with these words. I'm just spinning your whole life with this song, Killing Softly. With this song. But this is a deal. No inner circles. It leads to the last thing, which is the problem of civil war. I'm sorry I had to do it. When you are in the grip of the idea of people being important by position and power and, and celebrities, when you're in gripped with the idea that the church is just full of these inner circles that either are desirable to be in or desirable to reject and despise, it inevitably leads to factions and civil war, which is exactly what Paul said is going on. You guys are fighting and quarreling over this stuff. And that should never happen. We're, we're actually all on the same team. Right? And so 
Calvary Chapel could easily get, get split up into factions, very easily. There could be people who are proud of being in the Friesen fam and other people who are proud of being in the Clark clan. There are other people who could be all at war because they're part of the Brown Band and they are not happy with the Kaler Club. And they're, they're, they're definitely questioning what's going on with the Belfort blah blahs. I couldn't think of another B word that worked with this, so I just put blah blahs, which you can use. It's, it's on, it's on, it'll be on the internet before the end of the day, so it's now a thing. Whereas the Tyler tribe is just re- remaining aloof from it all, and the vote votaries are just trying to mediate everything. When factions exist, it's, it's about you're protecting your turf against the other factions, right? But it, we're all actually all on the same team. And I've just been thinking about, like, hockey. Now, there's something with factions, right? That's, that, that's the whole point. That's why we pay to see it. Our faction fights against their faction, and then we see who wins the cup. And it's very entertaining and exciting. But then I remember that the players themselves, they don't actually do the factions. Because if they're traded to another team, they don't go to that other team and start like poisoning their Gatorade. Because they still think they're part of the Canucks. Once a knucklehead, always a knucklehead. And they don't start like doing own goals. They just say, I'm a hockey player, I'm part of the NHL, and whatever team I'm on, I'm just playing my best. Right? Isn't that how it works? The factions don't exist. It's just there to sell you stuff. Because all the American teams are just full of Canadians anyways. (laughs) Right? We win every cup. (laughs) Unless there's a Russian out there. And that's the church. The factions don't really exist. If we're in Jesus, we're in Jesus, we're in Jesus, we're in Jesus, we're in Jesus. We're in Jesus, we're in Jesus. The factions, the the clubs, the warfare, it's totally just demonic. It doesn't exist. If we're a church in Christ, that's all that matters. And this is serious stuff to the Lord, because the Lord does not want his church damaged by factionalisms. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, starting verse 10, By the grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each of you should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hair, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed and fire will, be, will come and test the quality of each person's work. What he's saying is that the church is about Jesus from beginning to end. It always needs to be about Jesus. It can't be about even a servant of Christ. We're all just servants. Robert Belfort's nothing. It's all about Jesus. I'm just a servant of the Lord. Being excited about me, which I'm sure won't happen, but let's say it did happen one day. It's kind of like if you got invited to the Queen's Palace and then you were just so excited that you met a butler. Come to the Queen's, come to Buckingham Palace, and you're like, oh, are you a real footman? Oh, you've got weird clothes, you must be a footman. Oh, the Queen would like to see you now. Go away, go away. A, you've got one of those hats. Is that one of yours? Oh, the big hat outside of Buckingham. We're, we're all nothings compared to Jesus. Let's embrace it. Let's just be a bunch of happy nothings looking at Jesus. He says this, though about the church being God's temple. He says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And there's a few times in this letter where Paul really shows the fact that he has a big fat gun and doesn't mind pointing it at people. 
says, you guys are God's temple together. Yay! If anyone seeks to tear you apart, God will tear that person apart. Ah! And you are God's sacred temple. Yay again. But celebrity culture and inner circles and civil war threaten to tear a local church apart, and God says, I I will defend my church. So live in a little bit of fear here. And then live in a lot of fear here. Because God is God and no one can stop him from doing whatever he wants. And when he says, I will destroy that person, it could mean destroy. Amen? So let's walk carefully. All right, let's pray. Uh, Greg, you can come on up. And then we'll pray. So let's end this well. Church, all of us suffer from a case of wanting to be like the cool kids. We do. Can we just admit it? All of us suffer from a case of meism where we think that church and Christianity is all about God and church giving us what we want according to our own goals. For me, one of the verses that hits me every time is that verse where Paul says, I want you to be of one mind. And in my heart, I think, you can't ask me to do that. This is my mind. I get to decide what I think. Right? Anybody? I gotta own my, I gotta think for myself. And Paul's saying, that's how you lived before you knew Jesus. Now that you're a Christian, you're supposed to think what God thinks. You're supposed to join together with all the Christians and think what God thinks. So I'm just thinking to myself, it's always me. These are my thoughts and my mind. Me, 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 me. And he's like, Rob, let your brain be discipled by Jesus. Your brain was invented to think God's, God's thoughts, not your thoughts. Oh, that sounds complicated. Well, I make it complicated. Church, Calvary Chapel, by the love of Jesus Christ, you are an amazing thing by grace. You're the church of the living God. You're a son of the Father. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. You are a, 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 a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And we need to believe this. Each one of us, we don't need much from each other. And it isn't anybody's job here to make us feel like we're achieving our goals or fulfilling our dreams. That's Jesus' job. Our mission is to actually love people to death. And we need to be so in Jesus that we could meet the queen or we could be in children's ministry and we would just say one way or the other, it is an honor to be with you and serve you and to love you in the name of Jesus. We need to be able to accept the relationships we do or don't have in a church and just say, wherever God's put me, it is an honor to love the person in front of me. And it is an honor to seek to protect the unity of the church and build up each other in love. Amen? Why don't we stand and sing?